Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 35, How to Care for Your Turkey Calls with Preston Pittman. Today we are 292 days, 9 hours, 33 minutes, and 52 seconds away from opening day of turkey season in Alabama. I know some of you guys listening to the show are still turkey hunting and will be until the end of May, but... We're done here in Alabama, as a lot of you already know and have been for almost a month. And I wanted to get Preston Pittman on the show with us today to talk to us about how to care for those turkey calls before we put them away for the season. The last thing we want to do is pull our calls out a month before season next year and realize that they're all ruined. That our pot and peg calls are broken, our box call is molded, that our diaphragm calls are all stuck together and hardened. And we've got to go out and buy all new calls and spend several hundred dollars on that. So I don't want that to happen to you guys. I darn sure don't want it to happen to me. That's why we got Preston on the call today. Before we get to that, I want to thank Stump Hunter for his review or her review on iTunes. Stump Hunter says, best podcast ever. This is awesome. Downloading all the past episodes to listen to as I drive down to my hunting camp. Keep up the good work. Stump Hunter, thank you for taking the time to leave a review on iTunes for me. As you guys already know, leaving a review is very helpful. It helps others to be able to find the show on iTunes, and your feedback on the show is much appreciated. So if you haven't left a review yet, please go on iTunes and do that. Leave a five-star rating as well. I thank you for your time and effort in doing so, and don't forget to subscribe to the show. Subscribing does not cost a penny, and you will get notification when the most recent episode is uploaded. So I've got one more little piece of housekeeping that I want to do before we get into the interview with Preston. And that is something that's going on here in the state of Alabama. And I want to talk to you a little bit about something that's going on here in the state of Alabama. The reason that I want to talk to you about it is because I'd love to hear your thoughts about it as well. Now the state of Alabama is actively trying to manage our game populations within the state. And at the end of turkey season this year, an email blast went out to all of the license holders who were on the state's email list, stating that a lot of the hunters this year were complaining about the quality of the hunting. And the state asked for the turkey hunters to participate in a brief 10-question survey. Of course, I went out there and completed the survey because I was very interested in what the questions were on the survey. 
but I'm also very interested in doing what I can do to help the state better manage our population of turkeys. After I completed the survey, I sent it out to all of my turkey hunting buddies here in the state of Alabama for them to go online and complete the survey. Well, the survey period has ended and the results have been posted. I'm going to read the results of the survey after the interview with Preston Pittman today. Again, the main reason that I'm going to read it is I'd like to know what you guys are seeing in your home state, at your hunting camp, on your hunting property, on your family's property, on your public land, wherever it is that you happen to be hunting. I'd like to know what you're seeing there. So we're going to talk about the survey and the results after the interview. So right now, let's get into the interview with Preston Pittman with Pittman Game Calls, and I will see you on the other side. I want to thank Preston Pittman for coming on the call with me today, and we're going to cover a topic that I think is, well, the topic is neglected, and the subject of the topic is neglected. I know I neglect the heck out of mine, so today's topic we're going to talk about is caring for your turkey calls, and we're going to talk about caring for them during and after hunting season, and I know most all turkey hunters, we have a lot of money invested in our turkey calls. Some of them are limited edition type of pot and peg or box calls that we spend a lot of money on them. Preston, I'll tell you a story real quick. I had a friend of mine who was renovating a house in Homewood, Alabama, uh-huh. came in my office one day and he said to me, what is this? He holds out a box call. And I looked at him, I said, that's a, a turkey call, a box call. And he said, that's what I thought it was. You're the only person I knew that would know what that is. And I said, let me see it. So he brings it over to me. And it is an old Lynch call. Oh, Lord. Was it the Birmingham model? The Birmingham model. <laughs> you you, you said, did give him $50 and laugh at him all the way out the door, didn't you? Oh, it's better than that. I said, where did you get this? He said, I'm renovating a house at 305 Edgewood Boulevard, and this call was inside a wall oh, in the man. house that I'm renovating. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. I opened up, and inside the the wall of the box calls, 305 Edgewood Boulevard, ML Lynch calls, whatever the the company name was. I said, you've got to be kidding. He said, no. I said, what are you going to do with this? He said, I'm giving it to you. I said, you do know that this is worth some money, don't you? And he said, it's worth absolutely nothing to me. I want you to have it. Oh, man. You're a blessed man, you know it? Yeah, no joke, no joke. But I've got Preston on the call. Preston is the Preston Pittman with Pittman Game Calls. Preston, how are you today and where are you? I'm big, fat, bald, old, ugly, and I'm sitting in my recliner laid back, thanking the good Lord that turkey season is finally over with. Mm, well, I'm tired. I'm old. I'm worn out. So, I, I understand the old and tired and worn out part, but I'm never happy it's over. Well, no. See, <laughs> I, I start Saturday hand grabbing, so I just flip from one to the other. I'll, I'll, I'll be hand grabbing, noodling, whatever you want to call it, about 30 to 50 pound catfish this weekend, so I'm still going to be having fun. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, good deal. Well, I appreciate you coming on the call with us. I know you're real busy, and we're going to jump right into the subject. Well, you know, you talk you talk about calls. Why don't we categorize them and start with probably uh, the most used call, which are diaphragms, okay? Okay. All right, one, what a game call manufacturer wants you to do is to take that call, throw it up on the dashboard of your truck, let 102-degree weather hit it, and that way I'm fixing to get another 695 to 1495 out of it because it's going to ruin it. 
Sounds about right. So let's go through the steps, and it goes like this. A diaphragm turkey call is made out of some type of a rubber, either prop or propylactic or either a latex rubber. Personally, I think that a latex rubber holds up a lot better and a lot longer just from the chemical composition uh, that it is and how it is made. But a lot of people like propylactic or prop material because it is so much thinner. But with that being said, if you are a person who likes to keep the reeds separated, still the most inexpensive way that you can do is to get a flat toothpick and slide in between the reeds. When you are through using the call for the day, rinse it off with tap water. If you actually, if you really want to get the, the best life expectancy out of it, then run it through filtered water or bottled water that has no chlorine or anything else to it whatsoever. Let it air dry first, then stick it in your refrigerator. Whenever it comes time to use it again, if you're still, let's say, during season, you're going to go hunting tomorrow or day after tomorrow or next week, the refrigerator is fine. But from year to year, take that collar, prep it the same way I just got through telling you, and put it in the freezer, just like meat, vegetables, or anything else. If you mm-hmm. freeze it, then it's going to have a lot longer life expectancy out of it. It can be in a plastic bag. It can be in a Kodiak can. It can be in anything whatsoever that you put it in to freeze. Also, too, what you're doing by putting it in the freezer to get the most life expectancy out of it, you're keeping any UV rays from getting to it or any sunlight whatsoever. Heat will destroy it. Light will destroy it. And just letting it lay around will destroy it. Now, I know most people buy two or three or four or five or a half a dozen or a dozen of them every year. And even though I'm a game call manufacturer, my diaphragms that I use, because you always get to that point when a call is in use that it hits that really, really sweet spot that you like. That's nothing more than the deterioration of the rubber, which is a natural process that happens with all name brand manufacturers. That's whenever I freeze it right there. But that's coming back from my old competition days. Whenever I would break Mm -hmm. a call in and get it to that point, get that exact sound I wanted, I stuck it in the freezer and found out, hey, guess what? My hunting calls now are lasting me two to three years, even though I build them every day of my life. I still got my favorites, and I get the most life expectancy as I possibly can out of them. Now, with that also being said, if you happen to have a sinus infection, the flu, a cold, whatever it may be, then after usage, before you put it into storage, because bacteria will live in a refrigerator, and it will also live in a freezer. So you can take any mouthwash, scope, Listerine, whatever it may be, mix it 50-50 with water, put your calls in there for about two minutes max is all you really need to do it. All you're trying to do is to kill those germs. Here again, in this situation, the reeds should be separated so that the antiseptic can get in between the reeds. The reason why I know that, going back to my competition days, remember I told you I always froze my competition calls when they hit that point? I was yeah. getting sick the same time of the year, every year. And actually had a wow. doctor, he said, well, what do you do? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I cut hair for a living back to you. And I said, but, no, mm-hmm. I'm competition turkey collar. He says, oh, you're putting that diaphragm thing in your mouth. I said, yes, sir. He said, you're reinfecting yourself every year with the same germ. I'll be dying. So huh. that's how you can get the most life expectancy out of your diaphragm and keep it tuned exactly where you want it. But since I touched yeah. on that, I'm going to give you another little tip here. You can tune any name brand collar as long as it has three, well, actually two or more reads to it. 
There's two basic styles of yelping. Traditional tongue blowing, which is where you use your tongue and your jaw, and huffing, which is a new thing that you're hearing so many people do now and a lot more difficult to learn. Uh, so with that, you can purposely, let's say you're blowing a three-read call. We're going to call the longest read or the cut read number one, then number two, and then number three. Let number two and number three stick together. And what you will do is you will get a whole total different sound out of it because those two reads have now turned into one, but you have what we call a little bit of backbone to it from the mm -hmm. third read. And all of a sudden, you get a whole total different sound. But to get the maximum amount of rasp, keep them all separated. Okay. Now explain huffing to us a little bit. Mm. Huffing is like I was talking right now or I'm mm -hmm. blowing all my air out, and I'm strictly using the very back of my tongue and releasing that, that, that pressure a little bit at a time. And I'm relying on my tongue to get those higher notes first, like it. Yeah. Then what I'm doing is, is I'm building that air up, basically in one breath, okay? and I'm releasing it just a little bit at a time instead of going and dropping my jaw. The tongue comes into yeah. play a lot more. And you might want to try shifting that collar a little bit more forward so you can lay a little bit more tongue on it. Yeah. Do you think that huffing gives you a little bit more control over the air coming out of your No, let me let, kind of sort of, but more important than that, and this is what I teach in my seminars, is when somebody yelps in front of me, I say, Okay, yep, half is loud. Okay, now, yep, half as loud as that. Man, you can't do that. Yeah, I can. Now, yep, ha half as loud as that until you get it down to where you're doing the super softest little pits and putts and clucks and the tree call that the only way you can hear it is when you look straight up above you and you got too darn close to the birds that morning, the hand sitting in the tree you're sitting up against because that's the only time you'll ever hear what that does is that teaches you control over your collar because it's a lot harder to call soft than it is to call louder. And if I can learn how to call, call softly and control that call soft, then I can make any volume that I want to anytime I want to. Good luck. That's two years worth of work. Yeah. That's what it takes. Well, that one little tip right there is worth the price of admission. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on to to, to friction calls, and it does not matter right. whether it's slate, does not matter whether it's glass, aluminum, a box call, or whatever it may be. The one okay. thing which let's let's just take pot calls. And that's slate, glass, aluminum. Yeah. The harder the surface the rougher the sandpaper or stone that needs to be used. That's basically only going to apply to glass and crystal. Your one death to all pot calls is oil, grease, mm -hmm. touching it, fingerprints. That's your worst enemy. Your second worst enemy is if you carry that call in a vest or let's say in some blue jean pockets or uh, long these camouflage pockets. Right, see, I'll sneak my little companies in there on you. Uh, listeners, I'm yeah. sorry, but I have to do a little bit of advertisement here. But if you carried it in your pocket, then now what's happening is you're rubbing the face of that call. Now, this applies to all surfaces. So you're polishing it. So when you pull it out, your peg might slip a little bit. And it's just simply because you've polished it. You've rubbed it with just the friction going back and forth with your clothes. So instead of roughing it up, you've polished that call. So all grease, here again, sunlight on plastic or wood is your enemy. Don't lay it up on the dashboard of your truck. 
If you can't afford a pouch that many different companies make to carry your call in, take you a Ziploc plastic bag and stick it in it. That'll keep it from getting polished. It'll also keep it dry if you don't have a waterproof striker. Right. Two-fold layer. Uh, in fact, I have gotten to the point, especially I've, I've, I've been experimenting with a new call with a cluck and purr pot, and I got to going, hmm, the waterproof peg doesn't sound as good as the wood peg does on it. Well, guess what? Put it inside a Ziploc plastic bag, cut you a hole about the size of a dime, and you can hold it upside down or sideways and still keep calling in a torrential downpour. You now have a waterproof <laughs> pot call. Same way with a box call. You can stick it in a plastic bag, a bread bag. You now have got a right. waterproof box call. Even though we use, most manufacturers use uh, uh, either water-resistant or waterproof glues, it's still not a good idea to get your pot call or your box call wet. Occasionally, especially with aluminum and with slate, you want to use a scuff pad. Scotch-Brite puts out a, a scuff pad that is brick, not bright red, but a brick red type color. I would recommend that here again for any name brand manufacturer for aluminum are for slate, but not glass. Remember, glass is real hard. You have to cut it. Right. And if yeah. you will use the the scuff pad like what I'm talking, then the old analogy that we've all been taught on slate that you have to sand with the grain and call across the grain just went out the door because I will cross sand it. It's fine enough that it does not cut grooves into a soft surface, but it's mm-hmm. rough enough to make it rough enough that the peg will grip it. Now, some of the properties of slate and aluminum, especially if it's not an anodized aluminum and you're using a wood peg, is occasionally, and that could be every two days, if you're using you know, a, a pot call like that that much, you could take that same little scuff pad, stick the tip of your striker in it, and just twist it back and forth about a dozen to 20 times because mm-hmm. the slate will embed into the grains of the wood and so will the aluminum. Aluminum's a little worse, or non-anodized aluminum's a little bit worse about building up into the pores of the wood. So keeping those calls conditioned, keeping them dry, keeping them out of the sunlight, and keeping them from getting polished in your pocket, those are the best tips I can give you uh, on pot calls. Box calls, much the same, because it is a friction call. Box calls, if it needs to be chalked, for God's sake, do not go to Wally World and buy the kids' little chalk sticks that are in there. That is a dustless chalk. Dustless chalk, dustless chalk has a wax into it so that, like back in the old days, most of your listeners probably don't even remember this. Remember, I'm fixing to be 62. Whenever they wrote on the chalkboard, that's whenever they came up with the dustless chalk because it was making such a mess everywhere. And it's a wax is what it is. You can even go to, go to a sporting goods store, whether it be Bass Pro or Gander or uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, wherever, and get a manufacturer's box called chalk that is there. If you can't find it at a sporting goods store, go to an old-time hardware store and ask for brick carpenter's chalk. Right. And that's the only chalk that needs to be put on there. A box call over time will glaze, even in using the best chalk that there is out there. What I mean by a glaze is, what are you doing? You're rubbing two pieces of wood together. What are you creating? You're creating heat. Mm. You can run a good box call with what I'm fixing to tell you. So it needs to be done exactly the way I tell you. Get you some 220 or 440 grit sandpaper if, one, you've already screwed up and used the wrong kind of chalk and sand it off. Two, uh-huh. if your box call is starting to slip, even whenever you freshly chalk it, get you some very fine, fine grit sandpaper and only sand back and forth across on the underneath side of the lid 
about four to six times. That's it, with no pressure. All I'm trying to do is to knock that glaze off. And about every four or five years, you might have to touch the side or the radial curve side that's doing the calling and only do it one to three times. And that's it, with no pressure. You're just knocking that glaze off. Yeah. The sand in the box calls always scares me because I know I'm going to screw them up. It should. You, yeah. you notice how I'm saying, you know, only a few times and with no pressure whatsoever and an ultra fine grit sandpaper. Because if you put any pressure on there or you sand too much, now you're eating into the wood and you're going to totally yeah. change the sound of that collar. But if yeah. it's glazed up and slipping, what have you got to lose? Yeah, you're you're right about that. You know, because that call's not going to do you much good after you know played a few times like send that. Send it two or three times, call on it, chalk it back up, see if it works. Still having problems with it? Send it two or three more times, chalk it back up. Yeah, it'll take you five ten minutes, but whoopee! Now you got a call that's going to be good for another year, two years, three years. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. you go. What about? After season care, should we do anything special? You know, do we? Because I know a lot of people. We, we cover the diaphragms, you know, freeze them, you know, dry right. them out first, you know, uh, 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 put some antiseptic on them, make, just in case you got some type of germs in your system. But usually, by, by you can hear me kind of hoarse right now. By this time of the year, I'm all messed up, some type of sinus infection. With the box calls and the pot calls, here again, don't put them in your storage room. Don't let your wife know you got them in your underwear drawer. Keep them in a mm-hmm. controlled environment. Now, this is going to the extreme, you know what I'm saying? But if sure. you do what I'm telling you to do, guess what? You can buy one pot call that you'll hand down to your children and your grandchildren, and it'll still be calling. Right. And the same way with a box call. You know, earlier when we were just visiting, you were talking about the lynch box call that the gentleman found, you know, inside the walls. Mm-hmm. Well, look how it was preserved. It was encased. That's true. No weather was getting to it. You know, very true. Now, on wood, moisture can be an enemy, and especially the softer the wood, especially when you get into some cedars and stuff like that that act like a sponge. Yeah. So, therefore, you could dry it out a little bit, seal it inside of a Ziploc plastic bag, but you wouldn't want to go hot to cold, hot to cold, and create condensation in there. So, usually what I do is I take them and stick them in a sock, and I stick them in one of my okay. drawers in the in the bedroom. Okay. That's That's my way of taking care of my stuff. Yeah. And then just the the normal heated and cooled air that we have yeah. in our homes. What do is, most people keep their house in? Sixty eight to seventy two. Perfect. Right. There you go. What most hunters do is they go, Okay, I'm gonna throw a vest out here in the storage building outside and it's gonna hit hundred degrees. Then inside it's a little metal building. Well now it's hitting hundred and fifteen degrees. Now it rains and moisture gets in there and it's 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 shrinking, it's it's expanding and not expanding, expanding and not expanding. You know, it's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then even yeah. mold can set up on them. I mean, some of my old collectibles that I've got stored in the storage room, I ain't going to lie to you, but I got them stored in the storage room. I even went in and took socks here again and put rice in it and threw it inside the plastic tubs because I ain't got room to keep everything on the inside. And that seems to help yeah. some. Some, I had a, 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 a big wind that came through and I wouldn't hear for several days and knocked a hole in the roof. Mold even set up on some of the box calls. Wow. And that's moisture. You know, yeah. That's moisture. So yeah. moisture is your enemy. Heat's your enemy. Now, how do you recommend cooking that rice when you pull it out of that sock with the, with the box calls in it? <laughs> you cook that for the dogs. Because <laughs> after my foot's been in, been in there, I won't even eat it, okay? <laughs> uh, Although I have seen times whenever I would eat that sucker, by God. <laughs> it's some of these camps I'm going into. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. 
How about locator calls? You know, Everything. Something. It does not matter. Locator calls are even more critical because most, well, 95% of all locator calls are using like a, some type of a mylard reed and heat will, like a duck call. It doesn't matter whether it be a duck call, a crow call, PD woodpecker, county holler, or whatever it may be. Same type of situation. Don't put it on the dashboard of your truck. Don't store it in your storage building. Keep it inside. Hide it in your closet from your wife if you have to. So I had to hide all my stuff from my wife because she's a hunter. She'll steal it from me. Oh, there you go. She she'll go get all my goodies is what she does. I, I, where most guys are having to come in and hide their stuff because they spent their money or whatever it may be on, on hunting products, i got to come in and hide my stuff or my wife will steal it from me and go use it. And I love every second yeah. of it, too. I can tell you that. Absolutely. I completely understand. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. Mine, mine doesn't hunt, but if she did, I'd be pretty excited about there that. There you go. Well, i tell you what. You yeah. touched on something. Can I elaborate on it? Please do. You said your wife doesn't hunt. Uh, is she no. against hunting? No. Okay, then here's what you need to do. And anybody else out there listening, if you want to get right. your wife involved, number one, don't make her get up early. True. Okay. Then, mm-hmm. and this, this applies to a kid also. So let's just say anybody who is a non-hunter. Let's just take them out and let's show them God's greatest gift to us, and that is the great outdoors. Let's do it at a comfortable time with them. Let's don't even carry a weapon. You can do it before season. You can do it after season, whether it be deer, whether it be turkey, whatever it may be. And let's make mm-hmm. it fun. Let's go look for tracks. Now we're going to yeah. go hunting. Well, why don't you bring your camera, baby? Won't you shoot some pictures or won't you shoot some video? Just introducing them to the outdoors. And with kids, if all of a sudden the kid wants to stop and build a sand castle because there's a pretty little stream running through it at the bottom down there, and mm-hmm. guess what you're going to do? You're going to stop and build, build a sand, sand castle. castle. If they see Absolutely. that grapevine and they, they, they saw the, the cartoon with Tarzan swinging from it, guess what you're fixing to do? You're fixing to swing mm-hmm. from that grapevine. If you'll, yeah. if you'll introduce people to that slowly like that, not necessarily with a firearm or with a weapon, but with just let's go see Mother Nature, you might be surprised what happens. Yeah. You might be surprised yeah. what happens. Care about two shooting range. Uh, I'm sure Alabama has some of the same things that we have, like Turcotte here close to my house on Ross Barnett Reservoir, to where you can go shoot a bow, you can shoot a pistol, you can shoot a shotgun, you can shoot a rifle. You can shoot skeet, you can shoot crap, you can shoot sporting clays, and introduce them that way. Let them get used to it. Here again, mm-hmm. get a lower, you know, don't put no turkey load in there the first time they shoot. You know, find the lowest, <laughs> <laughs> the lowest stuff you can find, and, and, and let them get used to the boom. Make sure they have hearing protection on. God, right. I wish somebody told me that whenever I was a kid. Yeah, me too. So yeah, I, I like to sure. introduce people the soft way. Is what I yeah. call it. And that's just, hey, look at what there is out here. Look at that pretty flower over here. You know, look at the vines growing up a tree. Didn't that neat bend the way that tree? It kind of looks like an elephant, doesn't it? Those kind of things. And then yeah. slowly bring them into it. Well, why don't you go sit in a tree house with me? Or why don't you go with me and me just listen for turkeys? Yeah. And then, ma'am, guess what? You can have your best hunting buddy right there. Well, and that that really is why we go. That's it. You know, it's, it's the camaraderie. It's the, the friendship. It's the enjoyment out there. It's, 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 it's I, I keep saying it's God's greatest creation. It's springtime. Yeah. The world is waking right. up. I mean, you know, it, it, it's everything that goes on. It's hearing all those sounds, you know, and, and I bring that out to you. Hey, you hear the crow over there? Oh, listen to the red bird. Mm-hmm. You know, deer hunting. Hey, the cat squirrel's barking down there. Something's coming. You know, and yeah. on and on and on and on and on like that. It's, it's seeing everything that's out there and hearing everything that's out there. It just, it can, it can, it can really open up a person's mind. It really can. Yeah. It's squeezing the triggers, the icing on the cake. There you go. Without a doubt. So, well, you mentioned that you 
want to throw in a little plug for the companies, and I do that for everybody that I have on the show. Tell us what's going on at, at Pittman Game Calls first. Well, Are you working on anything new and exciting that you can share with us for next year? I don't know what? whether I can share everything I'm working on, but I am Pittman Game Calls, and I am Longleaf Camouflage. First, mm-hmm. on the camouflage side of it, we have a brand-new pattern that has not been released, but I tell people to be looking for it. And you can go to longleafcamo.com, uh, and it's called Timberbreak, which I'm very excited about and was very involved in developing it. So it will be available by this fall. And then with Pittman Game Calls, everybody thinks that right now, yeah, I'm sitting back in, in the recliner, but I also got a yard to mow, and I got two, uh, uh, we're just going to say major accounts that whenever I hang up, I've got to get back in touch with. But with all mm-hmm. that being said, I am working on a trumpet call. I'm working on a cool. tube call. I'm working on a very simple, easy way to display your beards. You know, what do we always end up doing? Throw them, throw them over to the side, and there's no real way to display them. Well, I've come up with a little system. I also, which is now uh, patent pending, have a liquid dispensing 24-inch tall by 6-inch wide giant turkey call for the man cave that just happens to hold exactly one-fifth of liquid. Oh, cool. And I'm be going to North Carolina to one of the mills I use up there to be working on two different versions. I will be offering that hopefully next week to the NWTF. If not, it'll go on the open market uh, or one of the three yeah. versions. And you can put iced tea in it. You can put water in it. You can put anything. It's just a neat little novelty type thing. And we're going to be doing them in turkey calls, duck calls, rifle shells. Shotgun shells. I'm pretty excited about that. I really am. Even though it's a novelty item, uh, it's something pretty cool and pretty neat. And there's some other things on the game call side that I'm working on. I'm also, and I will not tell what it is because I'm about 65% there. I'm working on a brand new call surface for pot calls that nobody has ever seen because I'm going to Iowa with a chemist and I have a idea in my head that I know will work, but it's never mm-hmm. been done, if, if it's going to be affordable. And I'm 65% sure that it will also be oil-proof. Oh, neat. But I'm not there yet. It will not be out by this, this coming spring. There's just Everybody thinks there's enough time. There's just not enough time to, you know, to get right. into the marketplace. Yeah, and that, I think, is something that a lot of us people who are not in the call-making industry believe is that you can bring a product to market in no time at all, and it doesn't work that way, does it? Well, I have to be sitting in front of the buyers starting in two weeks. Yeah. I just came in off the road from uh, my PR stuff and hunting buyers and writers and TV and stuff like that. So this is a 12-month-a-year job. I love it. I'm not going to lie to you. But mm-hmm. it's not all about hunting. It's research and development. It's trying to come up with something that is new and innovative, uh, something that will truly – I'm not a gimmick person. You follow me? It, right. it, it, if the gimmick works and does what it's supposed to do, fine. But as far as just going and selling a gimmick just to make money for on a short period of time, that's just not my bag. I, I, I came up the hard way, bud. I mean, my mama was a hairdresser, and my daddy was a pipe fitter plumber and lived through four heart attacks. In age 16, I was working full-time and trying to finish up high school. 
So my dollars mean a lot to me, and that's the attitude that I take, that I want to sell a product that does what it's supposed to do, and the, the lady or the gentleman doesn't feel a size 10, kick them in the rear end when they walk out the store because they got messed over. That's just my philosophy. Yeah. Well, and I've been buying and using your products for years personally, and I can vouch for what you just said. There's, If there's a gimmick in Pittman Game Calls lineup, I hadn't seen it. And, you know, all of the calls sound like a turkey's supposed to sound. They sound like a locator call should sound, whether, you know, it's a crow or whatever it happens to be. And I'm thoroughly impressed, and I'll continue buying them Thank because you, I, I think they're great products. So, you know, for anybody that's listening, if you're looking for some good calls, whether it's diaphragm or pot and peg or a box call, the man sounds like a turkey. You do know I was hatched on November 28, 1953, the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Not only does it sound like a turkey, but he thinks like a turkey. <laughs> and... Some people even say he even looks a little bit like a turkey. You'll see my nose. It's got, it's, it's got a pecker on the end of it, I can tell you. Just like a pecker on the end of a old gobbler. Uh, so the Preston is 100% a turkey hunter through and through. And for you guys and women who are out there who haven't met him before at any of the shows or anything like that or seen him on any of his appearances on TV or what have you, he, he really is. I mean, the guys to the core a turkey hunter. I'm, I'm and, a redneck, and I'm proud of it. Well, you, I think being a turkey hunter, you don't necessarily have to be a redneck, but it, it's it helps. being a <laughs> being a turkey hunter. You know, there's there's not many people out there like you as far as that goes, and and just eating, sleeping, breathing it, and doing it 24/7, and and you definitely have. But hey, before I let you go, I always have people on my guest on the show tell us about their most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that made that hunt a success. Do you have I, a couple I, of minutes I, to share yeah, that I'm with? Just us? hot off of one. I literally Nebraska public ground know nothing about it. Has never been to it. Mm-hmm. I'm hunting with six other guys. We're splitting up into groups in twos and threes. Yep. One group goes in and finds a bird on the public ground in Nebraska. It's a Merriam. Oh, that's going to be a piece of cake, bullfrog. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked the bird for four hours. He's got two hens with him. Every time he would call, he would gobble. Every time they moved and tried to get closer, he moved away. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that is, that bird has had the ever-living spot pressured out of him. I yeah. used that information, and they messed up. They said, y'all go in there and hunt him. I said, okay. So my scouting has been done by listening to somebody else's hunt who made the mistake to hand the bird down to me. Mm-hmm. I already know that he's call shy. And I am from that old school. Less is more when in doubt. I mean, the deep south, Alabama and Mississippi are the hardest birds they are anywhere in the country to hunt. So that's my core. And I grew up hunting public land south of Hannesburg, Mississippi, in DeSoto National Forest, or what we call Camp Shelby. So I use that information, and we are literally riding down a little dirt road the place where everybody parks at to go in on the public land, and we spot yeah. the bird down in the bottom on the side of the hill going up to a field. So we make a mad dash and get ourselves in position. Scott, who was with me, I said, Scott, you go high, I'm going low. 
Mm-hmm. They've already told us that he roosted back over here behind us on this bridge. I said, we've got him semi-cut off. He can either go above you or either he can go in between us. And I said, hold your ground when you get there. Hold your ground and don't call. He kind of looked mm-hmm. at me. I said, don't make a sound. So literally, I'm low. The bird's wanting to work high. So yeah. I called him to Scott. I yelled six times. That's all I yelped to him. Not mm-hmm. enough to make him, what the heck is going on? But I yelled three times real soft. Then I yelled three more times real soft. Well, he did exactly what the boys told me. He skirted me. And guess who was mm-hmm. laying? Call it ambushing? I don't. I call it figuring a bird out, what I call. Yeah. The bird was not going to come to a traditional call. And if I would have cranked down on him, he would have double stacked and walked off and probably walked up high and nobody would have harvested the bird. So use the information that you have, however little or however much it is, and reason things out in your head. And I promise you, you will become a much more successful turkey hunter. How did you, well, maybe knowing is the wrong word to use, what made you suspect that the turkey was going to skirt you one direction over the other direction, one because side the, over the other because side? Because the other two, well, number one, I was down below him. I hit low ground. Okay. Uh, a bird normally likes to go to, to a higher ground, especially whenever you're in the foothills, and we were in the right. foothills of the mountains. And I already knew basically the general area as to where he wanted, or where he had roosted at the night before. Plus, I'm also, as I walked in, I'm scanning the area. And in hill-type country, points are extremely good for a bird to roost at. So I thought I had him nailed, and obviously I did, as to where I thought he was wanting to go to. So as long as he was in a semi-relaxed type situation, that's the reason why I only yipped him six times. I didn't want to fire him Mm -hmm. up. I didn't want him gobbling. I didn't want him walking, you know, away, away from me in a hurry. I wanted him just mingling I wanted to still let him think that there was a hen down there, but at the same time, see, I never stepped out, so he never saw me. I didn't have a decoy with me, so he didn't see a decoy. So he heard sound, and it's like, hmm, is that a hunter or is that a real hen? Well, she ain't coming out, so I'm just going to kind of ease up here and stay high and keep looking down there. And he must have gobbled 40, 50, 60 times. Yeah. But he just kept skirting me because he didn't see what he was supposed to be seeing because he didn't see the hen that he heard yipping. So he right. just eased on around me. Now, if he had come down low, guess what? Oh, yeah. I'd have shot him. Yeah. I, I kind of guess that's what the answer was going to be to that. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't have been surprised because here again my information was, was every time we called to him, you know, he gobbled, but he kept moving away. And we'd pick up and try to get in front of him. And we'd call to him, and he'd gobble, and he'd move away. Well, that's telling me. He wants to move away from the calling, and y'all have hammered the ever-living snot out of him what you've done. It probably didn't shut up the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So I called him to Scott. Just a little different way of calling him. That's right. Well, and you gotta you got to take what they'll give you. Uh, yes, especially here again. Like I said, we found in two days of hunting, we found two birds that were on public ground that this old fart could get to. One of them got mm-hmm. killed, and one of them got missed three times. I can't help it. They can't shoot great. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, you sound like you might have been hunting with me. I, I, well, I, I felt pretty good. <laughs> and it was luck. You know what I mean. It, it was just luck. Uh, and a lot of it is, you know, you, you get into situations, you go, well, I've been here before. You know, yeah. this didn't work. Well, I'm not going to do that. Then let's try something different. Or this did work. Well, let's try it. No, it's not going to work all the time. 
But you start building up a library is what you do. It's an encyclopedia, and that's what a lot of people don't stop and think. They don't reason things out. They don't think about past hunts. They don't think about past stories that they've been told, you know, to where somebody did something maybe off the wall, and guess what? It worked. Think about now, like with the tail chasers, the fans, like Mojo puts out a tail chaser now you can put on your gun barrel. I was doing that on field turkeys 40 years ago, and I didn't tell nobody nothing. I didn't want them to know. And then all of a sudden somebody starts going up north, and it works better up north. Uh, started going up north and started showing all these videos and YouTubes and stuff like that. And then Mojo came out with his tail chaser. And by the way, that's always in my vest, I can tell you, real quick. I, I don't apologize for this. If I can't call him and he's out in the middle of the field, I'm going to try to crawl him. Oh, yeah. Well, I've had people tell me, and I'm, I'm sure you have had them tell you the same exact thing. I don't want to bushwhack a turkey. I'm not going to ambush one. I'm going to call one or I'm not going to kill him. Well, I'm going to tell you my thought about that is to be able to crawl up, to be able to slip up, sneak, whatever you want to call it. I like to call it the Alabama low crawl. You probably have something similar. That works for me. (laughs) Whatever you want to call it. If you can do that to a mature turkey, I don't care if it's a hen or a gobbler, you have just had a successful hunt, and you've been able to do something. And it took more skill. Coyotes, it took more skill than sitting there on a two-year-old long-bearded gobbler and yipping. They ain't had a girlfriend all year, and he comes running up there and goes shoot me in the face. No doubt. No. Coyotes couldn't do no. it. Bobcats couldn't do it. No. And you just did it. No, I'm not talking about riding down the road and shooting one out the window. I'm not talking about that kind of crap. No. I'm not talking about no. that. Uh, uh-huh. I'm, I'm talking about one-on-one. Well, here, here's my philosophy. As long as I take that bird legally, ethically, and morally right, and I can't help it if my morals get a little bit low during turkey season, then it's a successful hunt. Uh, I'm going to be eating fried turkey uh, breast while, while y'all eating beanie weenies. There you go. There you go. Uh, have, I, have I got another minute or two? Because I want to go. I, I, I got a little topic I want to talk about, okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This past turkey season is the worst spring that I have had since I was a teenager. And 70 to 75% of the turkey hunters that I talk with have experienced the same thing. First, I'm going to give you an analogy of what happened in Nebraska literally two days ago. Two days ago, I go past a private piece of ground that we cannot hunt. And the first thing I see is a long-bearded gobbler with 13 hens. This is the latter part of the season now, okay? He's blown up his truck with 13 hens. This is all in a half-mile or less stretch of ground. The next thing I see is nine hens by themselves. The next thing I see is seven gobblers, two long-beards and five jakes by themselves. The next thing I see is a lone hen by herself. I just told you every stage of what we should be seeing from the beginning to the end of turkey season going on in the same spot, the same place, the same bunch of birds in less than a half a mile stretch of woods. Mother Nature is changing. This is my philosophy. This is not biology, but it's my philosophy. Mother Nature is changing. Now, is that global warming? I don't know. Is it a cycle, a 100-year cycle? I don't know. Is it El Nino? I don't know. El Nino? I don't know. But I can tell you this, Mother Nature is changing. When have you ever seen dogwood trees bloom, drop their blooms, before the first oak leaf ever appears on the tree? It happened this year. When have you ever seen crimson clover be as late as it has been? blooming and dropping its seeds. It's just dropped here in the Jackson, Mississippi area. That should have already been over with two weeks in the season. My azalea bush that has bloomed for 
15 years, 14, 15 years, did not bloom this year at all, period. Mm. Not one flower whatsoever came on it. And on and on and on and on. I think, my philosophy, that it is totally messing with animals. That's their home out there. And they don't know how to act and react when it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Example, if it was 100-degree weather and you walked in your house and the heater was on, something ain't right here, is it? So we are going to have to adapt. And for the past three years, we have had late springs. The biologists are starting to agree with me that weather is more of a factor than what they originally thought. It's not all the sunlight hours in the retina of the eye. That applies to rut mm-hmm. on deer. That applies to breeding cycle on turkey. That applies to crappie bedding, bluegill, so on, so on, and so forth. It's almost like start, stop. Some start, some stop. Some start, mm-hmm. get going pretty good, and then boom, it's over with. But uh, we're back again. It's like they don't know what to do. And in yeah. that situation, they gave me fits this year. I make no bones about it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty common scenario of what you were talking about. And for my out-of-state trip this year, we went to Indiana and Ohio. I saw the exact same thing that you were talking about. Got a gobbler in Indiana by himself, lonely as can be, up right off the roost. And even I I killed him at eight o'clock in the morning. So he'd been on the ground for two and a half hours by himself the whole time. You leave there, you walk into another field and there's a gobbler in full strut with three hens. It's just like every cycle is going on at the same time. They don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're right. Do you see the lone hens out there by themselves? It looked like they just came off the nest to go get them a little quick bite to eat and they're going to run back and go get on the nest. So it's, it's seems to be running it's strange. There's no question about it. And this, the state of Alabama did a hunter survey this year, and I'm glad that they did it this way. They, in the past, have sent it out just to select people that have bought licenses. Well, this year, it was kind of a blast email out to everybody that bought a license online. Oh, good. Yep. And I'm going to forward you the results of that survey because they were sent to me two days oh, ago. I'd like to see it. I'm, I'm going to send those to you here in a little bit, but I am going to read the results of that survey on this week's show. So everybody listening to this interview, stay tuned for that. It's going to come up next. But Preston, I'm going to send it to you. I found it very interesting because the vast majority of hunters say that this year was worse than last year and worse than five years ago and worse than 10 years ago. But don't change anything. Don't shorten the season. Don't cut our, our bag limit. Sometimes things and have so, to be done so that you can ensure that you have game to hunt. Sounds like a friend of mine from Alabama might be involved in that. A guy by the name of Chuck Sykes. Yeah, he might be involved a little He's bit. He's a good man. I want everybody yeah, to hear I've heard that. Great things about he him. is a good man. My hat is off to Chuck. He's trying to help the state of Alabama, and you got a good person in there. And by God, he's a he's hunter. He knows work. what's going on. Yeah, that is really what we've lacked in Alabama in the past years and with the Game and Fish Department is, you know, they seem to have had blinders on and nobody had ever been out of state to know what other states are doing, what's working for them, what we can take from there that's working for the other states and implement here. And this, the leadership in the Game and Fish Department in Alabama right now is the best that I have seen in my adult life. And I hope they keep it up. I agree with you. He's, they've done a lot to really stay in tune with what the hunters in the woods are experiencing because we're in the woods more than the biologists yep. are, and there's not enough biologists. Yep. 
but there are enough of us to share our experiences with the biologist for the biologist to say, oh, okay, well, this vast number of people are experiencing this, so here's what we need to do to correct it. We see Alabama just, so, uh, just how long has it been since, uh, because I came to Alabama this year and hunted, did not harvest a bird. Got close, but did not mm-hmm. harvest a bird. Y'all now have a check-in system, a telecheck system, correct? We do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not mandatory, but we do have it. It needs to be mandatory, and I'm pushing for it. Will. I'm pushing for it in my own home state. We still have the honor system, and we have no place. We have no data. I mean, how, how can right. the biologists and yes. how can the, the people in charge up there, if there's no data to work with, how many birds are really being killed? What counties are being killed in? Where Where is the decline at? Where is the rise at? Is there disease? Where can we go take uh, samples at? And what about the guy who's killing 25 birds a year? Yeah. So yep. Uh, my hat's off that y'all have uh, put something into place, and I'm going to be lobbying to try to get uh, that and a whole heck of a lot more right here in my own home state, and I'm going to make a bunch of enemies, and I don't care. Well, it's for the benefit of everybody right. down the line. That's right. And, you know, we've, we've got to protect it today to have it There tomorrow. you go. There you go. So. Preston, I really appreciate your time today. It's been a lot of fun, and as usual, your uh, wealth of information, and I appreciate you sharing that with everybody that's going to be listening to the interview and the show today. And I'm going to put you on the list to call you again, and we're going to talk about something sure. a little bit more fun than taking care of turkey calls next All time. Right. We'll talk about just putting the kibosh on them. How about I, that? Whatever you want to. I'll either give you a story or, or tell you the truth or tell you a lie, one of the three. Well, all three of them work. <laughs> Thank you again. I really appreciate everything. Have a great day and good luck on those calls with with the big wigs. And we hope you sell them a lot of calls. Thank you, sir. Y'all take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, buddy. Goodbye. All right. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Preston. I certainly had a good time with him on the phone. He's a super nice guy. He is a wealth of knowledge about turkey hunting. And he's not afraid to share that knowledge either. And that's a big deal because not very many people want to share their secrets about turkey hunting. But in this case, we have a call maker teaching us how to get our calls to last longer. So keep that in mind. The next time you do need to buy a new call, check out Pittman Game Calls. I don't think you'll be very disappointed with them at all. I've had a lot of good luck with them and I've killed a bunch of turkeys with Preston Pittman diaphragm call in my mouth. Okay, so I'd mentioned before the interview about the state of Alabama doing a web survey about turkey season. So I'm going to read these questions and read the responses to you guys. Again, I think it's very interesting because I think that what we're experiencing in Alabama is probably fairly widespread throughout the country. So I want to hear what you guys are experiencing. Let's jump right into this. The first question Was the 2015 spring turkey season better, worse, or about the same as the 2014 season? 11% of the respondents said it was better. 58% said it was worse. 31% said it was about the same. Over half of the respondents said that their season was worse in 2015 than it was in 2014. Question number two. Was the 2015 spring turkey season better, worse, or about the same as the average for the past five years? 8% said it's better. 63% said it's worse. 29% said it's about the same. Almost two-thirds of the respondents said that this year's turkey season was worse than the average for the past five years. 
question number three. Was the 2015 spring turkey season better, worse, or about the same as the average for the past 10 years? 11% said it was better. 64% said it was worse. And 25% said it was about the same. Question number four. Does your hunting property have more, less, or about the same number of turkeys as last year? 39% said about the same, 13% said more, and 48%, nearly half, said they have less turkeys on their hunting property this year compared to last year. Question number five, does your hunting property have more, less, or about the same number of turkeys as the average for the past five years? 33% said about the same, 15% said more, and 51% said less. Question number six, does your hunting property have more, less, or about the same number of turkeys as the average for the past 10 years? 53% said less, 29% said about the same, and 18% said more. Now, I think that's pretty interesting that the majority of hunters are saying that the quality of hunting has declined over the past five to 10 years. And they're also saying that their hunting properties have less turkeys on them now than they did five to ten years ago. So that begs the question, why? Well, the state asked. And now remember, the state's asking hunters. The state's not asking biologists, but the state's asking hunters. What do you consider to be the major factors limiting turkey numbers in your area? Now we could check more than one answer, but our choices were weather, 40% of the respondents chose that answer. Predators, 73% of the respondents chose that answer. Disease, 5%. Too many hunters, 13%. Too liberal of a bag limit, 11%. And other was 17%. I'm not sure I know what other is, but 73% of the people who completed the survey thought that predators were a major factor limiting turkey numbers in their hunting area. And 40% thought it was weather. Pretty interesting stuff, I think. I'm not sure that I really disagree with that statement, although I would say in Alabama, we have too liberal of a bag limit. We're allowed to kill up to five turkeys each season in the state of Alabama. And personally, I think that's too liberal of a bag limit. Not every hunter is killing five turkeys a year, but with a 46-day season and a five-turkey bag limit, I think we're putting a heck of a lot of pressure on our turkeys within the state. Okay, question number eight. Would you be happier if the spring turkey season started earlier and ended earlier in your area or started later and ended later or leave it alone? The overwhelming majority, 62%, said leave it alone is just right. So basically what the hunters in the state of Alabama are saying is we're not happy with the quality of our turkey hunting. We're not happy with the number of turkeys that we're seeing in our hunting areas, but don't move the season, don't shorten the season, and don't reduce our bag limit. So, unless the state of Alabama comes up with a way to control weather or to control predators, then it looks to me like the hunters in the state of Alabama are just hoping, wishing, and praying that turkey numbers come up but are not willing to make any sacrifices to make that happen. So, I wanna thank the state of Alabama Game and Fish Department for actually doing the survey and for caring 
about what we hunters are experiencing out in the woods. That really means a lot. Thanks to all of the hunters within the state of Alabama for filling the survey out. But we're going to have to make some sacrifices here. Some shape, form, or fashion. We're going to have to limit the number of turkeys that we kill or our season length, which will effectively limit the number of turkeys that are killed. Or else we're going to end up with the same result. The predators are not going away. The hogs, the coyotes, the bobcats, they are not going away. And I'm convinced we're never going to figure out a way to make the weather perfect from the middle of March until the end of April. So weather is always going to be a factor. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to think about those same eight questions in your hunting areas. Are you seeing more or less turkeys? Is the hunting better or worse over the past year, five years, or ten years? What do you consider to be the major factors as to why your turkey numbers are down, if they are down? And what kind of changes would you make within your state if you had control to increase the population and improve the quality of your hunting? So, shoot me an email, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. Three or four or five sentences, six sentences. Send me your thoughts about what you would do to make things better in your state. And I'll read a few of them over the next couple of weeks on the show. Okay, so I probably have bored you guys to tears with statistics today. But again, I found it very interesting. I hope that you found the survey results pretty interesting as well. I really appreciate Preston Pittman coming on the show to share his knowledge with us. And I've got turkey calls I have to go take care of and put up for the year. So with that said, I really appreciate you guys tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate your spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.